Hello and welcome to I Spit On Your Grades, the found footage edition. So if you're listening to this, then well done, you found our footage. Big tick. I am joined as always by Faye. Hello. Mercer. Hello. How are we both? Are we well? We're okay. It's the last day of our 17 day holiday at home. Um, So it's back to work tomorrow. Boot earns. Did you have a nice Halloween? Did you get up the much? So Halloween was fabulous. Um, what did I do? I discovered I'm too fat to buy jeans. Um, that was a positive part of my life. Um, so because I couldn't buy jeans, I went to CEX, which is like a second-hand DVD store, and bought some crappy DVDs. My favourite one that I've bought, though. Oh, my God. It's totally not horror, but I had to buy it once I saw it. G.I.J. Uh. It's Demi Moore. I know it's Demi Moore. It's still... Uh. She's bold. <laughs> oh, well, let me now enjoy the film. Because she's got <laughs> no hair. We went to watch Mark Gatiss and... Adrian Scarborough. That's one. I went to say Pete from... Gavin and Stacey. Mr. Jolly. Pizza Cliff. Mr. Jolly. So Adrian Scarborough and Mark Gatiss read ghost stories for 75 minutes. Which was really nice and gentle. Yeah, it, it was a very gentle horror. If you'd have, if we'd have watched the live stream and been sitting on a Sunday afternoon, I imagine I would have probably been asleep, as I actually was at various points during the story reading there. Just because it was so calming and quiet and dark and it was it was really mood wasn't it it was yeah and had a big lunch which doesn't help yeah had a really big lunch um sorry mercer what did you watch quickly in preparation for this podcast the films i needed to watch for this podcast oh sorry i thought you meant you'd watched extra (laughs) no i've got them do you know from some of the suggestions um i've got a couple lined up that i found on Amazon mm-hmm. that I'm quite into watch just from what people have said. Well, we actually, based on what people had said, watched and, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, Noiroi, no, Noiru, Noiru, which was really good. Um, lots of twists and turns. It was difficult to keep up at some times because I wasn't fully aware of which story was being told when and who was who. But it did come all together nicely, didn't it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. No no problems following it through. I thought it had a fairly... I can imagine if you're not paying attention, then you would have... If you missed a second or two, or one of the twists, you could easily get lost. But I thought it had a good, nice through line, and it comes together really, really cleverly and really nicely at the end. And spoiler alert, that's not one of the four films that we're talking about. Oh, no, it so. isn't, no. <laughs> Well, that's true. It wasn't one of our suggestions. Let's... Oh, sorry. It was one of the suggestions, but not one that we actually uh, end up picking for this episode. Mercer, why don't you tell us what some of the other suggestions were? Do you know there's more found footage movies out there than I actually anticipated? Um, It's like shit tons of them. So we had quite a lot of different films suggested. Um, some, Some really good ones. Some... Really not good ones. <laughs> pinions, pinions. So yes, yeah, so Andrew Byron on Twitter, um, he came in with Paranormal Entity. 
It rarely gets a mention. It is a huge huge rip-off of Paranormal Activity, obviously. But um, he actually finds it quite creepy and a bit more visceral. I really enjoy the Paranormal Entity films. I think they're a bit um, cheesy. I like them. I wouldn't have picked it myself, but like you say, opinions. Um, That, one of our regular contributors there, uh, Matthew, um, he really enjoyed found footage 3D, so it was an excellent parody of the subgenre, but a parody that also holds its own with the plot and scares. Absolutely agree with that, and I am gutted we didn't actually get to watch it in the format for which it was intended, because I love found footage 3D. I've not seen it yet, but that's not unusual, to be fair. Uh, Go Hound or uh, also on Twitter came in with ah <laughs> I'm tough, but these two are my favourites. Found footage 3D. It's I'm starting to feel a bit of love for this one, and the Poughkeepsie tapes. Um, the Poughkeepsie tapes is fucking fantastic. It's just really difficult to get hold of. We've got I love this name. Seasonally spooky Wilkes. It's Ali Wilkes. <laughs> That's clever. So um, she came in with the Blair Witch Project. Feels like the original masterclass. But I thought this year's Death of a Vlogger was a terrifying entry into the genre, which again had an organic reason for Charas to keep filming. And um, also see Hell House LLC. The Midweek Horror Podcast, shout out to them. They came to us. We'll give you a shout out. Um, they said, I love a found footage. The Devil's Doorway is one of my fave horrors. Not Don't know what it is. Not seen, no. Nope. Also, The Borderlands. Hell House LLC, again, coming up. Grave Encounters. I love Grave Encounters. One I rarely hear people talk about is Webcast. It's fantastic, low-budget, suburban folk horror with, this is rare in the genre, really likeable leads. And also, I think, available on Prime. So I might have to have a watch of that at some point. I don't know if we've discussed this before on this podcast, but I just have to say that watching Borderlands with Chris was one of my favourite experiences ever because he'd fallen asleep and then woke up right at the end, which was like 20 shades of confusion for him. He was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It was so funny. I can see how that would throw people. Definitely. Um, we've got At Faction Man, Sam Grahamay? Grahamay? I don't know how you pronounce that. Well, it's Graham. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> I just don't know it. <laughs> it's got a nine on the end. Um, so he, he came in with quite a few suggestions, actually. So Savage Land, uh, that's got the best sense of realism. Uh, the Norai, which he thinks is the creepiest. Hell House LLC, he reckons that's the scariest. Mm. Lake Mungo, you know why. You know why. Does everybody else? I don't know. Um, Butterfly Kisses, that's got a great story. And Gonjiam Haunted Asylum, it's the Korean Grave Encounters, but better, in his opinion. It's like three there that I've never heard of, and I'm surprised that I've never heard of them. That's what I like about getting people to suggest things. 
because it does open up quite a lot where you're like, never heard of that, and then like have a dig around and you get to see some good stuff. I've seen a couple of these, obviously. Um, Savage Land, I didn't really rate, but you know, that's just my opinion. Um, God, I could go on forever, you know. <laughs> I'll just do a couple more. I'll just do, I'm just going to do a couple from Facebook just because I love. Uh, as Facebook friends, are we ever get any any recognition from us these days? Because Twitter is normally the one where everyone's kind of on his case. So we've got Matthew Killaby from Facebook said, "Paranormal Activity doesn't get the credit it deserves. It's very effect. It's got very effective jump scares. Quite enjoyed digging up the marrow. Bit of a different theme. Blair Witch, obviously, and Willow Creek seems a bit weird." that anyone would be so obsessed with finding Bigfoot, but it scared me. Not seen Willow Creek. I hated Willow uh, Creek. I could not stand it. It was boring. I'm going to end with a comment from Brian Dickinson. I'm not a fan of found footage. It's too amateur looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I think found footage is one of the, one of the most divisive kind of genres within the subgenre, like people either love it or they hate it. Yeah. I don't think there's there's not many people who are just like, nah, they're either no. Oh yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of the a general idea of some of the films that came through. As always, I've done a top five, just so we can see where we're going with this. So um the film mentioned the fifth most was Troll Hunter. Good film, very good film. Uh, that was then followed by The Bear, which is also a really good film. This this is a shocker for me. Third, Blair Witch Project. Legitimately thought we were going to be watching that for yeah. this episode. Yeah, we assume we wrongly assumed that it'd be a, this would be a runaway winner. Blair Witch, but there you go. We start doing this far too often, assuming which ones going to be the fourth like the fourth film and which one's going to win out of the four straight away we're wrong pretty much every time so we need to that's me spanking myself um second was death of a vlogger a lot of love one but the film we actually ended up watching which got mentioned most by the public um was referred to as scary or the scariest by somebody and that is Hell House LLC. We love Hell House LLC. And I think that is as good a place as any to start. Okay, so Hell House LLC. Just to give a quick plot run through here. Two friends and a group of other employees they have working for them. They are in the business of running scare attractions. So they've ran several successful attractions over previous venues. And they find the Abaddon Hotel in the town of Abaddon that looks absolutely ripe to be fixed up as a scare maze. They move in, start doing the work, and creepy shizzle ensues. As is always the way, you think these people would know better. So, opinions then. The premise of the film, I think, is genius. It's not something I've seen done before where a group of friends are getting together to specifically set up a haunt house. Maybe I'm 
missing out in the world of found footage where that's out there somewhere. But personally, I've never seen it. And I, uh, you've got all your typical characters, haven't you? You've got your pervy dickhead who's constantly slathering over some girl. You've got your sensitive one. You've got, it, it hits all the marks in terms of yeah character building. You got the sen- you got the boss who won't give up on the project despite the shit that's going down because in this case he's practically broke and really needs this to actually work in order to be able to carry on doing this and moving forward. The thing that benefits, well, the, the thing that's a benefit to Hell House LLC is the fact that because you're putting it in this setting of a horn, you can use all the props quite organically. They're not introduced, like, oh, what's this creepy clown doll doing down in this basement? Well, because you're doing a haunt, that's why. So I like how it just naturally progresses. I get, I'm a little bit, not, I'm not going to say confused, but confused. So the film's presented, right, it starts off being presented like it's a documentary. But is the entire film supposed to be the, us watching the documentary? Or is some of it stuff that isn't included in the documentary? It's from their perspective. So they've been recording their journey. And whilst it is but, presented as a documentary, they're using their footage. Yeah, so essentially it is a documentary using the things like the YouTube clips, the interviews and the the real footage that they're actually given of the horn and the time they're setting it up. So, so all that is contained within the frame of this overreaching documentary investigating exactly what happened with Hell House. So technically then, just so that I've got this right, the entire film is as if I've put a documentary on. There isn't anything within that film that is not part of the documentary. Correct. <laughs> the reason I ask it about this film is purely... Do you know, like, with, obviously, I like to make sure I fully understand everything. But this film ends with a picture of the people from the group who are setting up their horn and it says to this day the public don't know what happened inside hell house but if that's the documentary they've shown us what happened inside hell house yeah we so still... not documentary what they i think what they're getting out there is they still don't know the cause because we all we really see from the documentary is the sheer confusion of them running running out of that yes we see the deaths afterwards before you say anything else yes we see the the throat slit but we don't see what's actually caused this stampede and caused all this to flow. In the cellar, we do. We see the man in the black cloak walking towards the girl. They, they yeah. don't know. That that could have been part of the production. They don't know this what they're saying because the footage that they're getting is just from screaming, running people. They don't fully know what happened down there. They don't, again, like Chris says, what was the cause of it? It gives, it gives you an impression that, obviously, the... Hotel is haunted, and then it's all the ghosts or demons or whatever coming back. But it doesn't actually fully give you an explanation. The hotel is obviously haunted. We even dig into the history of the hotel. So we learn about the history, about the past owner, about how he killed himself. Yeah, but that's, that still doesn't give us a reason for any of this actually happening. That's just them digging into the backstory saying, Oh, isn't it weird that this, ha- this hotel where all this weird stuff happened happened to have the backstory for this owner? who hung himself. So while everything there is heavily implied as to what's actually happened, you can't definitively say this is the cause of it. This is exactly what happened throughout this night and this event. 
all this is irrelevant. Let's talk about the best thing in Hell House LLC. And that's that fucking clown statue. That is the best thing ever. That subtle move. Oh. So they're going down to the basement and somebody's they've got all these different props set up um and they found some of them down there and one of them was this clown type and he stood at the top of the stairs and he goes past him with the camera and then pans back to him and it's it's so subtle the head has just moved ever slightly which i think is fine the first time we watched that i was like oh that's, that's really fucking creepy well the the fact that it constantly relocated and just turns up at random random points throughout the house. That as well. It's enough for me to go. It's always the same with found footage movies. And it's one of their biggest flaws. But you know what? You have to just get past it. So we'll just get past it now. If all this creepy shit is happening in the house, why the hell are you still there? And are you still filming? You say it's the biggest problem with found footage. But a lot of found footage films put people in an environment where it's not that simple to just leave. So, like, Blair Witch, The Lost in the Woods, or some of them, it's, they, they can't escape because the found footage is from the perspective of the bad people, so they can't escape them because they're being stalked by them. But this one specifically, you would go, uh, yeah, scary-ass clown, I'm going to get in car. Like, there's nothing stopping them from leaving. Other than there's some weird thing going off with Alex so we don't know what it is, but when, after the third scare, and they go down to the cellar, Tony and Mac, and they find Paul, who's previously disappeared, and he's come back, um, he's definitely going to leave. And then he sits him down in that field, doesn't he? And he says, I've got something to tell you or whatever. And yeah. we don't know what it is, but he's like, oh, why haven't he told us? Is Alex dying? I'm not sure of the original version I watched the extended director's cut. Because it's got an extra eight minutes of scenes. And I'm certain that the reason he refuses to leave and keep pushing ahead with that is effectively all his money now has been sank into this like haunt. And if they just abandon it, that's it. They're done. See, no matter how much money I've sunk into a thing, if weird shit like that is happening, I'm out of there. Regardless. I suppose it's one of those things, though. I mean, if you can't pay the bills, you ain't got anywhere to live and you got you need that to work, then maybe you do take that risk. Or it could have been a genius and gone, all right, this place is legitimately fucking haunted and weird shit's happening. Let's just open the doors now and let people in. Because they've got been hiding. As far as like the characters go, one thing I do think this has got going for it is I think the relationship between the characters feels very authentic. Yeah. I don't like, you know, a lot of films, especially like these... But we're travelling together in a car. Let's have some conversation about some shit. It always feels quite forced. This this feels like they know each other. They link that really nicely with the fact that everything's going wrong. Right at the start, we're about we're a minute and a half in before they pulled over on the side of the road and having a blazing row just about trying to find the place. The fact they know each other, you get that relationship straight from the get-go. They are, they are bickering, they are friends, they are close. And immediately things are off on the wrong foot before we've even reached the actual property. And the thing is as well, they do come across as like workmates. You know, like you, you'll, you'll love your workmates, but then there'll be some who maybe don't pull the weight and stuff. They'll be like, I can't believe they've fucking done that again. Oh, do you remember when they did it last time? And you've got that kind of, yeah, we know what he's like. He did this before. He's just a dickhead. 
one of the dickiest moves they pull as a group of people is after Paul comes back and he's in that catatonic state, he's clearly got something wrong with him. They just put him in a bedroom and leave him there and carry on. You're like, take him to a fucking hospital or a doctor or just to a hotel. Like, he's clearly got a problem here. That is that is the thing, they start like, oh, maybe he's, oh, you know, Paul, maybe he's joking, he's doing this as a whiner. And they're like, well, it's been two days. <laughs> it's like, at that point, you go, yeah, maybe you should look into helping him. I find the whole Sarah sequence a little... Do you know the interview? I'm not sure how on board I am with that. It feels... I don't know how... That's the part where I like, feel like this doesn't feel legit anymore. She goes a bit too drama school. A bit with too the act, Yeah, a bit too, oh, I'm kind of... Yeah, I'm kind of zoned out, so I'm here, but yeah, really, I'm not. Kind of. Uh... Yeah. And can I ask a question? Honestly, we all knew that she was dead, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How did you know? Because she said she couldn't remember how she got out of the house. So for me, it was when she said, uh, I'm in a better place now. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what people say, innit? They're in a better place. They're, they're not exactly subtle in showing their, showing their <laughs> hand with her. Saying that, though, like, more people will have obviously seen Blair Witch than Hell House. But for me, the ending of Hell House is exactly the ending that I wanted from Blair Witch. That part where Sarah's about to get out and Paul's there, and then he starts beating her. That, from there, I'm like, this is what I want. Like, that death sequence, that fight sequence, I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And then that little wrap-up where... That news reporter sneaks in, they break in, and he's like, wait, this, she said she's in 2C, right? And they stood right in front of that door, 2C. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, that is good. Yes, it matches the one from earlier. <laughs> but for, I, I think, I, I honestly think, because we watch so many films, we're kind of jaded to things, and you kind of expect certain things, and you pick up like the little... So I think it's quite subtle, the way that they try and tell us that she's dead. So I think people who don't watch films and are already kind of freaked out by it won't have picked that up. And that kind of wrap-up of it for for regular people would have been, I think it would have been insane for her. And when they opened the door and she's there, the only thing I didn't like is when she turned around and all the face were beat up. I were a bit like, mm, I think it would have been just as effective if she was normal still, because... That's how she presents. But it is how she died, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why they had to look the way she does. To be honest, the wraparound sequence lasts too long for me. I don't particularly care for the wraparound. I could have quite happily had it just at the end of the haunt and just, we don't know what happened to such and such and such. I I quite like the end. I think if we were to sum it up individually... I'd say I think it's a good film with good ideas, some decent performances with the actual interactions of the cast. I do think it got slightly repetitive with the every night waking up to a different scare. That felt a little repetitive. Um, But I think the ending's a good payoff on this film. I would agree with you on all those points. And just to add... If it was me in that house, you can guarantee I would have drop kicked that clown in chest 
quite early on. Fucking get him out of the way, you know. But yeah, everything you've said, I agree with. Yeah, I I concur. Is first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it. I've seen it a couple of times now, and my enjoyment hasn't diminished at all. It's a fun haunted house found footage chiller and a really good audience pick. So my pick next, and it's funny that we had Graham Hughes weigh in earlier on Twitter with his favourite found footage horrors because my choice is Death of a Vlogger. Words cannot explain how much I love this film. Get out then. So it doesn't bode well for a podcast episode audio format. Maybe I'll draw some pictures and just put them out on Twitter and me just cheering or jerking off or whatever. But (laughs) this one I saw at Fright Fest last year, as did Faye. It was my, from the list of films they put out for last year, it was my first choice. It was my absolute must-see for the festival. And it did not disappoint at all. Just a very brief rundown of the plot. So we have Graham Hughes himself playing Graham. Essentially, he is a vlogger, broadcaster, general, all-round, social media type guy. He has a laser eye surgery during which time he is filming one of his vlogs and creepy stuff happens. And we follow through this whole parade of odd stuff happening around his flat. Is it real? Is it a hoax? Who knows? Do you think that now you're cheerleading for Graham? John McPhail and Andy Mitten are in the corner crying. (laughs) Oh, God. Graham's the flavour of the month. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, guys. I still love you. It's fine. There's only so many restraining orders I can get till I have to move on to someone else, unfortunately. I'm just convinced that you're trying to get the whole horror, the Scottish horror collective together. You know, we've got we've got Andy, we've got Mitch, we've got John McPhail, you're getting Graham. Who's next? Who's next, Chris? <laughs> Sounds like a target. I'm going to go put some kind of horror boy band together. <laughs> and it's I want that so to happen. We could call it Highland Fling. Highland Fling. Right, <laughs> shall we get back onto the film? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, the reason the reason I love this is it ticks all of my boxes. It has a haunted house or flat in this case, because let's face it, in this day and age, who can buy a house? So it's Graham's haunted apartment or flat, whatever you want to call it. It's got some absolutely brilliant jump scares throughout the entire thing. It's got just a general sense of creepiness throughout the entire film. And for me, the performances are great. They're all really natural. I believe in the relationship between all all of them, especially Steve and Graham. Steve's an arsehole. Steve is an arsehole. I don't know if he's that way in real life, but he's sure sure brilliantly portrays it in this. But I believe in the relationship between all the characters. I love the format. I like the talking heads. I even like the guy they have on to talk about dopamine hits. Mm-hmm. But even those little touches in a documentary format, I'm all for. Yeah. And for me, this is just, yeah, it's obviously my pick of best found footage. And I just love it so much. Would anyone else care to weigh in? Yeah, absolutely agree. 100%. Um, Death of a Vlog is great. 
I love the trickery in it. It's, it's like it's, it's simple things that are just so well executed. So it's like starting with the cup, and that was the first thing you saw in the trailer as well, which made us want to watch it at Fright Fest because it, it just looked so creepy. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. The cup bit is brilliant. Before even that, though, we open up with him telling them two stories, which A, gives us a sense that he knows how to tell a story, which will play out over the course of the film, mm-hmm. and B, with the photos that he's actually talking, up, talking about, not only can he do a scary story, but we know that it's a long, a long con, so to speak. Yeah, I found that um, that story with the photographs quite unsettling, actually. The I don't know just the can you see it um, aspect of it, and then him seeing it, him, I was like, wow, that's that is a bit unnerving. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not, it's not till you get into it later and you see obviously what they do subsequent to this that you go back to it at the start and go, he's told this really creepy story back before the first video, back before all this started. I'm assuming that how it works in the timeline. So even before all the creepy stuff has started happening in the apartment, we've actually, he's placed the seeds of where this has come from in the get-go with this story about him being in the photos back at the start. And like you were saying, Mercer, I think the reason the photos are so creepy are for the same reason that when you watch Lake Mungo, they're creepy as well, because it's not something that you automatically... You're not drawn to it straight away. It's not until someone actually... You, you get your attention focused on it that it becomes like, oh, that's a bit unsettling. Yeah, so... Which we learned in the Q&A that until halfway through filming, he hadn't actually watched Lake Mungo Ah, so that's why you know. Mm, that's why you'd know. If you know, you know. I, know, if know, I, know. I think um, I quite I, I like the concept of the film. I like the idea of the the broadcasting your like a haunting over social media. Um, I think that's quite a cool concept, and the backlash of when you're called out. Basically, I think it fits kind of it fits well with cancel culture, doesn't it? Mm. Like for for him the whole concept of let me get this right because obviously he's from from the start you're watching you learn that he's kind of almost desperate to have internet success or internet fame um and when the fear of the backlash comes and he and he kind of breaks with the story so yeah, i like that concept of it the the played out over the internet um and i think it's got some good characters in it as well yeah like you were saying earlier, they feel natural. They all, yeah. As I say, they I mean, believe them as mates and stuff. As I say, I mean, Steve. Obviously, Erin. I'll, I'll shout out for Erin first because she probably won't get the look because obviously Graham's the lead and Steve steals the show. Erin does really well as this slightly, not slightly downbeat afterwards. She's she's got that regret when she's given the interview and she's got that kind of slight quiver and that kind of mm, mm, and that kind of slight nod. I think I think she's got it in her as well, though, that she certainly was probably a pusher in all of this. Yeah, I mean, quite quite possibly so. We find out they're all sharing the same email address later on, so they're all in league together. We don't know how far that actually goes in terms of what how they planned it and who did what part. But yeah, I can understand how you'd believe that. But moving on to Steve. Steve is everything. So I, love, I love Steve. Steve's the best. He just is over the top. Haunted house investigator, vlogger, 
and over an absolute dick, and he's absolutely brilliant. He's, he's like a, he's like a cheeky chancer as well, isn't he? He's the kind of. I think that's why I like. I think that's probably why I, I like him. He's got that kind of Del Boy, yeah, kind of. I'm just, you know, I know it's probably not real. It's not real, and people are going to be annoyed that fuck it, I'm making money off it. It's also every opportunity to make, like you said, make some money out of it or get some sort of. Um, recognition out of it so when he comes over and they start getting into a fight he's like film this get this on tape <laughs> yeah, yeah that's Jesus. always be always be filming is uh, <laughs> is Steve's motto clearly the scares are really good as well let's talk about some of those just a little nuanced one to begin with from just a cup even though obviously later on we find out what's what but when you want just down that little cup moving to the big ones where the uh the sheet at the back when he's sitting there just raises up and then falls and the jump scare when they have the woman during the seance when she's I, just standing in the background the seance scene for me is brilliant i think it makes great use of that spinning camera going round and just i mean you know the, the reveal of the ghost is it's in your face i'm not gonna lie but i for me it's the subtleties in like the so the whiskey glass moving and such. I like all that. Oh, and a, a shout out as well, bizarrely enough, to the colour-coded DVDs in the background. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh, colour-coded. <laughs> I was like, fucking perfect. That is beautiful. That's Graham's OCD. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I I didn't find the scares that effective. I'm not going to lie. There was one scare that did work for me, uh, which was near the beginning when, when they've gone back to the flat and Erin's stepping over and the Erin eyes and she's now up in bed and then she moves and you see the woman run out of the room. Yeah. That one I thought was really effective. The most effective scene for me in the entire film is when he's running down the stairs. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm just hitting the same thing over and over. And that's quite nice as well when he looks up and you just see their ghost head shoot yeah. back. I mean, it works really well in the flat as well when he's going from the kitchen to go out the front door and just bat round again in circles. It's looping and looping. I didn't like Steve. I don't think he meant to, though. It, 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 like you, it, I don't know, he made me think of like all of these fake... He made me think of Derek Okora. Yeah, that's Even the point. Even though he's like Derek Okora, he just made me think of Derek Okora. Um, bless his soul. God rest his soul. Um, Shout out to the time... Um, I'm, I'm going to mention it because I mention it every time Derek Okora's name comes up that I had to console him on Twitter back in the early days because somebody called him a cunt. And I was like, oh, Derek. He's like, well, why are people so nasty? I'm like, oh, I'm going to charge for this therapy session in a minute. I don't know why people are nasty, but let's get back to this. So I hated Steve. <laughs> no, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like the character. Um, I just couldn't get on board with the character. That's probably because it did its job. Yeah. But for me, I just couldn't get on board. I really liked the character of Ali. The debunker was my favourite character. Oh. And I liked the story she did with the dog yeah. and the haunted doll um, and the way that she like showed, oh, I just faked all of this. Um, I really enjoyed her character. <laughs> oh, when they get to the end of the story that she's told, so is all that true? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows how easy it is. This, it's done really well with the show, how easy it is the sucker people in, even though she's told them, she's gone, look, this is all fake. They're like, it's like, 
No, it's like I'm literally just showing you how easy it is to suck you in, and you're still sucking in, even though I've actually told you the truth and revealed what's happened. See, I enjoy that character, and I will say, um, as far as like the twist goes, once they reveal the first kind of it's a fake, I didn't really know, and and then he, and then we've got the ha- the second haunting happening. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit like I don't really know where this is going. I don't really get it. But then when she shows the ultimate kind of every single thing that we've watched was part of the plan, that really impressed me. For, for, for the flip of the story, I was just like, oh, wow, that's really clever. I think you described it as planning for the fallout or planning for the backlash of it all. Like you, you've got something in place for if, this all, mm. if you do get exposed, go... Well, you know, actually, it's this and this. It's like, well, it's just another plan. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's the thing. The, the, the key thing for me about that was the backlash was the plan. Mm. That's what they wanted because then we got the apology video, which is a standard thing that we see in this culture today. And then normally that's when your career reignites or that's when you become really successful in it, mm-hmm. when you watch it. But the whole, I love the way, like, when Alice were like, I can show you the evidence. And then she's like, the shirt, the dirt. I thought she went home that night, so why she broke through the wall? How come she's in your kitchen? Um, I thought that was all really, really good and yeah. really well done. And it's the fact that they made the full, that they've had to make the film with them little things in to be able to pull it back and say, look, look, look. Yeah. I did really enjoy that part. I think my favourite bit of it is the picture on the wall when they play it back and it's it's in slow motion, but then you play it in a fast forward uh, motion and the picture just starts moving ever so slightly. Yeah, it's those, it's those little nuances that make it what it is. Yeah. So to sum this up, if I had to, in a couple of a couple of sentences without going on for another half an hour about how much this film which you could. is great, which I possibly could, the storyline works brilliantly the whole way through. It all comes together beautifully at the end. At no point do you not buy what's happening or what they're doing and the reasons for it. The scares, for me, work absolutely on point as they should do. There's genuine creepiness throughout it. And it's not often you'll get someone to tell a ghost, go haunt them, you spooky cunt. On to my pick next, we have from Ty West, 2013's The Sacrament. Um, basic synopsis is we have Jake, Sam and Patrick who have been invited by Patrick's sister Caroline to go and visit a place called Eden Parish which is, don't want to say a cult at this time but essentially um, a haven outside of the city for people to go and be self-sufficient they've built it from the ground up and she wants Patrick to come along and see what a beautiful life she's living and how happy and joyous she is She's an ex-drug addict. Um, she's now clean. And she's like, I want you to come see the progress I've made. And I want you to meet Father. Again, not something cultish at all, is it? So um, they work for Vice and decide to document their trip because they recognise it sounds a bit cultish. So said we're going to document it the whole way down. And it's basically their journey into Eden Parish and what they find when they get there. The Sacrament, I feel, is a very a different feel of found footage to the rest of the picks because we've obviously got with Death of a Vlogger, with your pick, Mercer, with Hell House, some pretty big jumps and scares. 
but I find the horror in the sacrament is more the story and what it accumulates to in the end. Performance-wise, amazing. Obviously, Bitgrade's favourite, AJ Bowen and Joe Swanberg and Amy Seamets. Fucking dream team of a cast. They're amazing in it. It never feels at any point that it's forced recording, as some fan footage does. It feels natural. It, it flows perfectly. And they're not even there over the longest length of time. It's less than 24 hours that they're in the parish. So you, nothing is filler. Everything feels relevant leading up to the end. Yeah, you, I completely agree. They pack, a, and they pack a lot in the lot less than 24 hours without feeling the need. Where it feels like they're having to ram everything in. Every, as you say, everything feels organic and comes together. And I think as well, because going into the film, first of all, when I saw it back in 2013, I wasn't aware, um, spoiler alert, guys, that this was more than loosely based on the Jonestown Massacre. It wasn't something I was aware of. And I think knowing that, watching it again, just gives it an added way. It gives it a bit more poignancy. I remember when you saw this and then... I think you recommended it to me. You told me you didn't want to give it away, but um, it was like the Jonestown Massacre. And I'm like, well, then you fucking give it away, aren't you? <laughs> They're like, well, how would you know what the Jonestown Massacre is? I'm like, because it's a very well-known story. I wasn't aware. It's yeah. I'm like, thanks, So it's a cult of the opulence. I was like, that. I like the way that when they do get to Eden Parish, the, um, I mean, I've obviously never been in a cult or, you know, been in, been in a cultish environment. But I like the way that when they get there, Caroline is trying so hard to portray that everything's normal, that everything always feels off right from the start to the point where they get there and they're holding guns. You're like, why are you having guns in what is supposedly a peaceful village? So. Yes, that part is odd and a bit disturbing. I actually thought when Caroline was talking about life on the commune, legitimately, I was thinking to myself, that just sounds ideal and I kind of want to live there. I wrote a note when I first started watching this film and I think it sums up my feelings for the film. It was just, AJ Bowen, I love you. That's the very first thing I wrote, and it kind of, he does not disappoint in this film. And like, I don't mean in a pervy way now, but I'm genuinely, as an actor, I think he's well underrated. I think the way he, he can emote things and the way he can play things, I just think he's, he's I think he's fantastic. I think he's, I think he's so talented, it's unbelievable. Even when they're focusing on him, so, you know, like, if you see him in the background, he never, ever... Obviously, his job's not to drop character, but he, it just always feels like he is who he's meant to be in that film. The thing about Sam as a character is I don't believe that he's gone into this environment with the sole purpose of exposing them. I think he genuinely wants to give kind an objective. An, yeah, an object, kind of an unbiased view. So they would go in and just film a show... Hey, this is your sister. This is what she's living like down with this group of people without having a moral viewpoint on it. And I think that's absolutely what he does. And that's especially evident in the interview scene, which is my favourite scene of the film. It is incredible and just goes to show how you can spin somebody 
so easily by just saying nothing at all, by just giving key words and shit that people want to hear. So he's obviously gone in ready to ask all these questions. Again, not attacking, just I think genuinely wanting to understand. He's not coming across as a dickhead with it. I think there's an element of him wanting to prove that this is a cult. So some of the questions, he even says it himself prior to the interview, I'm going to go in hard on him. I think the idea is to, because it'd be good for his career anyway, is to blow things up. But I think he's also got a sense of objectivity about him. Well, I get that side of it personally. But like I say, when he goes to answer these questions anyway, it's just totally fruitless. Because all Gene Jones is doing is riling up that crowd. So, I completely agree with you that that scene is the best scene in the movie. I adore that scene. But the reason I adore it is because there's something about the way Father or Gene Jones presents himself and answers the questions that's really sinister, but without being overtly sinister. I feel really uncomfortable mm. watching him and he, he kind of scares me a little bit yeah and i feel really tense while i'm watching that scene i feel really tense and i can just like like if you just put yourself into that situation i could understand how like aj bowen kind of immediately starts backing off it's the way he bats away with the fact he says oh you got a child coming and so he knows about so him. it's it's immediately sinister because he knows about Sam and he knows he's got a kick coming. But he's like, he just bats it away afterwards by just saying, "Oh, I was just showing you. I'm not, I don't mean anything by it. It's nothing sinister. I'm not going to do not going to do anything. I'm just showing you how easy it is and how you can throw people. And I'm just doing it to you." And the fact as well, he gets asked why he's named the way he is and why he calls them his children. Is like. Oh, I don't know. That nickname came from somewhere and it just stuck. It came from you. It clearly came from you. And you've brainwashed them all into thinking that was their idea. And the way he says to Sab as well, you just remember when you print whatever, when you do your story, it's their lives that you're accountable for. So whatever happens after the fight, he's put all the responsibility onto Sab. Mm-hmm. And Sam looks like, bless him, I love him, but he looks like the kind of person who would take that on board. Yeah. But uh, I don't think he's got that same edge that like a lot of reporters have, which is like, fuck it, I want a good story. I think he's, especially the fact that he's having a child and a family, I think he's reassessed his whole life by the, by the time we meet him in this film. Backstory. Not in the film, my backstory. But I do feel like he would take that as a direct kind of, I am responsible for what i do and it will impact these people absolutely and it just goes to show how far father is willing to go to keep this power because that entire interview is just a power move is to show him i can do this and i can get these people on board and you can't do anything about it don't come at me trying to tell all them that this is wrong because they're going to believe me without actually saying that it's fucking great it's a brilliant scene but it, do, it does spiral out of control pretty quickly. And I'm wondering if that is his paranoia at anything getting out. Because obviously they go into the cabin and they see all the passports and stuff like that when they're looking for Patrick. Because Patrick, Caroline's brother at this point, has gone missing. We don't know where he's gone after the meal sort of thing. Um, and they find all these passports of that these people have just willingly handed over. And, you know... It, if you didn't think it was weird before, you think it's weird now. 
let's loose, use that term willingly, loosely. They seemingly willingly yeah. handed those boats over. I think we learn that they, well, they must, they probably did hand them over willingly, but they went back. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't think this spirals out from the crew being that, well, the fact they're going to make a documentary about the place isn't the thing that spirals this out. It's fact when they go to leave and those other parties go, take us with you, that's when Father's realisation that this is going to collapse if this happens comes to the fore and that's where it all goes, falls apart and goes downhill quickly. And you obviously learn eventually that Caroline has brought Patrick there to get money for the parish because they're running out of money and it's more of a balancing act of, well, do we keep up with this facade and get what we need to keep it running or do we just, you know, cut ties? And just end everything. And unfortunately, they choose the latter. Um, which I fucking hate. That scene. Not hate it as in I hate it. I hate it as in I love it. But it's really quite disturbing. Especially when you know that that actually happened. It's, it's a horrible thing to watch. And oh. So um, when they're mixing all the Kool-Aid and stuff. And they're putting it into the syringes, the syringes to give to the babies. That's fucking horrible. It's so horrible. You know what's horrible about that scene is that you can... These extras, or the people playing the, like the cult members, I think they do a, a stellar job. You can see that they don't want to do it, but they don't have a choice. And the ones who don't do it, we see what happens to them. They just get shot down. But that moment when she goes to give that baby, you can see that woman's face is just like, I don't want this, but I can't not do it. Being in that position must be fucking awful. Yeah. For me, when they're doing the whole giving the drinks out and he's doing that speech, I find that really unsettling as well. When he's like, he's stood there with his arms out and he's like, take it or something. He's saying something repeatedly. And I'm just like, this is horrible. You're horrible. But heaving from it, that's what I couldn't get. Because normally with cult members, the idea is that everyone else dies and you've got their money and you fuck off. But, but... I think you'll know we'll be exposed. I'm surprised you didn't say as well, Mercer, that, w- and it does add to the unnervingness of it all, is that when Father's talking, both in the interview and when he's getting people to drink the poison, there's a score underneath it that's so deep and it really it just adds so much to the scene. So now you've mentioned score, which I'm glad you have, because one of the first things I... I noted for myself about the film is at the very beginning when they're talking about going there, AJ Bowen's got, he's almost got quite a light-hearted kind of attitude towards it and it feels like we're going to look at this but it, it, it doesn't feel he does, it doesn't feel like he feels they're going into something sinister but the score that's playing underneath is the complete contrast. And I find that, like, for me, it was, like, kind of confusing because I, I, I didn't, like, I felt like, oh, this is, is this, where are we going with this? Like, this feels like the score felt out of place, but the film itself, like, the score throughout's great, but the film itself does a, like, a massive, which I think is kind of reflective of the first scene, a massive twist. We go from actually being all right to the hand, that little girl hands them the note, and the tension just jumps. Yeah. And it's and it's such a contrast to where we were, mm. like, three before. We are playing with a goat and stuff and having a good old gay time. And then, bam, we're, it's sinister. 
and that whole them in the tent singing that song while he's running around for that girl. And there's that weird scene where Caroline walks through and looks at her and walks off and you're like, this is going to take a really dark turn. Caroline, she, the way she is around father is disturbing because <laughs> it's quite clear that something's going on there. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird setup. I mean, just be, going back to the ending really quick. It does, it does get pretty horrific towards the end. You know, Caroline sets herself on fire. She poisons a brother. Father shoots himself in the head. It just goes fucking mental. Not how you'd expect it to go at all. Not only that, there's that awful scene where Joe's hid under the bed with that mother and daughter. Yes. And she's like, I'm going to let him kill my daughter. And she just slices her neck. And you're like, what the fuck? I know. That's from fire scenes amazing. Caroline's incredible. Caroline reminds me, character-wise... And this sounds a bit bad, but you see it a lot in films of like a prostitute whose parents got them addicted to drugs and they have to be with them all the time because mm-hmm. that's where they're getting the source from. And he's obviously brainwashed about giving her drugs and that's and it feels like that. And poor Amy Seamit, she has some horrible deaths as well. Like harping back to your necks, the way she runs into that wire in her neck, she has some brutal deaths. Bless her. For me, the thing that brings it all together is when they're flying away at the end because um, obviously Sam and Jake do manage to get away and onto the helicopter. After the poor helicopter guy gets shot, he's only been there five minutes. It's proper shot. It's like he didn't do all. Like he was shot at like 20 past eight and it was like half past nine. I think he might have passed out by that point. That's my only, that's my biggest gripe with this film. I'm like, he's either dead or passed out. Thankfully you didn't. And as they're getting away, you just see an aerial shot of everyone who's died in the parish and it's horrible. It's a sinking feeling. Again, because you know this is based on a true story. I think that's why it's so hard-hitting. As I said at the beginning, I think Sacrament hits differently to any of the other fan footages that we've picked or that have been mentioned. And I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned by anyone so i guess that means low score for me but that's fine it's still my favorite found footage um so if you haven't seen the sacrament please go see it and if you have please vote it as your favorite found footage film right time for the final film of this episode it's obviously my choice it's the 2013 film it's called hacked although i actually know it as the original title the den so just the clarity if anyone's not sure, The Dead or Height 2013, not the 2020 Height. So just a brief synopsis. It's the story of Elizabeth who's conducting a study about meaningful online relationships and whether that's something that you can actually have. So she's spending her time on a site called The Den, just interacting with anyone and everyone that she can to see whether you can build a meaningful relationship. Unfortunately, she comes across one profile which leads her down a very dark journey. So she sees someone get killed online and then she suddenly becomes a victim of these people who've previously killed someone online. So one of the reasons I like this film is it feels, for the time, for like 2013, it feels like, like one of the earlier uses of modern technology. So, And then if we consider like just recently... We had Searching, which uses the exact same kind of aspect of the web and mobile phones to tell the story. So this does that, but it uses the web, mobile phones, hidden cameras to bring a full story together. It's taken everything that we know and use daily and made it a dangerous thing for us. 
I also really enjoy the people that we come across on the net. So as she's meet people, I enjoy them. Because again, it just reminds you that online you can be whoever you want and act however you want with no regard for the person that's on the other end because they're just a, a picture on a screen to you or a, a person on a screen and you can click next, it don't matter. You can do whatever you want and move on and then they're gone from your life. So I, I really enjoy that as well. You were saying about it being a dangerous place, showing how a dangerous place it could be, and this was back in 2013. Can you imagine if you made this now? How much more added danger you would have, given how nasty people are on the internet now? The thing I like about the den to start off with, I mean, the premise is great. It's an absolutely valid reason to keep stuff recording. But I, I missed it initially. I said to Chris, it's not realistic because no one's on a dick pic. Within like 30 seconds, he's like, no, you missed a dick pic. <laughs> like straight away, like, oh yeah, it is pretty realistic then. And then we also get like the the, co- the puppet Cut dick pubs up, which is funny. And we also get, this a, a, it disturbs me, but I think it's one of the people who's actually in the one of the baddies in the film. We get that scene, that guy just staring at his camera so intently, clearly wanking off. Do you know if I, if, do you know, like, so if you want to chat, say you come across someone cracking one out, you'd probably laugh and move on, wouldn't you? But with that, that would scare the shit out of me because I'd feel like he's going to murder me or he's wanking off with somebody else's hand or something. Like, it was very intense. I think with this film, again, I really like Melanie Papalio. I believe that's how you pronounce the name. I find her quite natural throughout. I like the way they just interject themselves into her life before she knows it's happened so like with the text messages like them responding on her behalf like when she's in bed that's kind of freaky when she moves away from camera when she's got a friend round and they're watching videos and that profile comes up and she goes to the toilet and she just skips it and then it just sends a message saying don't fucking skip me again bitch or something and you're like whoa instantly aggressive quite freaky yeah. and what I think is clever is, you know, like you said, the concept, the premise for keeping the cameras rolling kind of makes sense because of what she's doing. What's good is when she's in bed, she's not keeping her computer rolling, but they're logging in to watch her. So here's here's maybe where I have a bit of a problem with this, right? Because if I'm going to bed and I've finished on my laptop, I shut it down. I don't leave it open. No, you just turn it off. You just log off. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you'd log off. But if they're hacking and they're getting into it, that's fine. But it's the fact she's left it up where she could have just pulled it down. And that would have obviously saved her an indiscretion later on when certain things get recorded and sent to people. But later on, that weren't them, that were her boyfriend. He picks a laptop up, doesn't he? And he's, he's doing it. Mm. I think that's actually also quite, again, scary. So have any of you ever had that fake email message? The one that says... Oh, you've been a naughty person. Yeah. We saw what you were watching online and we screen grabbed you. Oh, no, no. Were... And if you don't send us money, we're going to send these to everyone in your phone. Oh, not your phone, everyone in your email. Have you had this message? I've had this message, yeah. Oh, okay. I've had it a couple of times. That's quite scary. So the fact that in this film, she gets recorded having cunnilingus and it gets sent to everybody. Is, can you imagine that? That's terrible. Yeah. And then, obviously, the film itself, it does descend into a bit of chaos because what happens is everybody who's in her immediate life becomes part of her story and her journey. 
So a boyfriend gets kidnapped in his car, which she finds out later. The scene with the sister, I think, is great. The way that it pops up on her screen is a street view, and she's like, what is this? And then it zooms down to the house, and then it cuts to the camera of them looking in on her sister, and she's trying to phone her. I think the aftermath of that is more disturbing in the fact that the guy just walks back in and picks up the evidence and just walks away with it. He walks into the house and speaks to the sister as well. Like, where's the dad? Don't you think you should be involved? And yeah. you're like, who the fuck is this dude? <laughs> Seriously. And you didn't, like, up until in walking out of the house, you were like, hang on, is he a that's a cop, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. you that's what you thought. You thought he was a cop until yeah. until it's like, well, no, he's got a head he's got he's recording and this is before the days of coppers wearing web wearing camera on the uniform to record footage. It's all them coppers around. I know. Obviously that gives way to the fact that they move so quickly in getting stuff in and out of her house, like the cameras. Like how do they find the time to do that when she's there? Be fair though, they managed to move around. That's one of the things I do like with the computer jiggery pokery. When they get her to go to her sisters and they move it, the sister elsewhere and they move the boyfriend around. Those messages and those bits and pieces to move everyone around like chess pieces. Just those split seconds to get someone to go there and the cops are here but you're there. And they move an entire fucking living room's worth of stuff out of a house. But it's been it's been a while though. It's been a few days since you've seen her boyfriend. But yeah, that's the way you've just explained it, Chris. Is awesome. They treat they're like chess pieces. She's just part of a game, mm. and all the other players are like pawns, and they're just getting moved around. So yeah, let's get you to your boyfriend's so that we can then message your sister and tell her to come to your house, and then let's get you to go to her house, or let's get you home so we can then get this police officer to go somewhere else and. It's quite cool. It very quickly jumps into almost like a... Like, we see some quite brutal stuff before, like, with the videos that she's watching. So the initial death, the kids playing Russian roulette, I think that's awesome. Very clever, because that was quite tense. But then it kind of... Cool, but intense. It does get a bit schlocky quite quickly. So once she realises that she is actually a target... So, yeah, so when when she realises that, actually, she's definitely got someone watching her when she sees the cameras in her house and she tries to get out and she the cop's being killed, she just watches that other cop get killed on camera and she gets kidnapped. It does become then a bit, like, very schlocky, a bit kind of more... It's like a different film, almost. So, almost like a Hostel-esque yeah. type thing. Yeah. But I do like the fact that even when they move to that, they still use like the webcams and the security cams to keep it running. Oh, what I did think was clever but funny is we've obviously got to this point of writers gone, hmm, how do we keep this as a found footage film? Let's drill a camera onto her head. I did question this, right? And I said, why is she wearing a camera? And then it's obviously because it's for the people who are paying to see the journey. And they're seeing it from her point of view. So it does actually make total sense as to why she's got something on her head. It does, but it's it's quite funny. And then I, I enjoy this, the, 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 the end scene. I like the way like they play that video, like a boyfriend speaking to her, they play that video and she starts to freak out. And, he, and you, you can hear him going, it's a repeat. They've, it's, it's already happened. They just want to scare you. 
And I love the strength that she's got as a character. The fact that a lot of people in these situations, I know it's a film, but, you know, as a final girl, final girls always muster that strength up, don't they, to, like, fight back. So I love the fact that she does fight back yeah. and, and escapes. When I initially watched this some years ago, I was not impressed with the ending at all. It really bugged me. I was like, well, why is she running out of all these fucking corridors? And, oh, my God, this is taking forever. Watching it back this time, enjoyed it 100% more because you did want her to get out and you did want her to escape. And the thing is, it makes it so scary because you don't actually know at this point what they're doing. I mean, the end scene is pretty fucked up, but we'll get to that. But you you don't know why she's there. You don't know why she's being picked. You have no clue as to what's going on. So you do want her to get out of there. And it does feel very tense when she's going around all these corners and these twists and turns. It's like, it's like a video game. It's like all these people just coming at her and she's having to get out of it. It is like a video game, yeah. And, and the car scene's quite good, the way she gets caught. <laughs> It's interesting to work out how they pick their people. In my mind, it's because they interacted. So when the get dead girl's profile first pops up, the first she she says is, oh, is your webcam broken? And then it's almost like that's the in. Like, you've interacted with us, we're going to come for you. And I, I, I'm thinking that just because when we flash at the end, when Melanie's or Elizabeth pops up on that British girl's monitor again, and the camera's off. She's like, oh, is your webcam broke? And then it's like, no. And then they play the video. The video is like, it comes on and she gets hung and she's hanging and you're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And then they chop her down and you're like, oh, they've let her live because they're going to torture her. That's what I thought. Mm. And then he just put her in and I'm like, fuck me. Like, she's dead. Like, she's not getting out of this. Mm. There's no den two where Elizabeth escapes and tells the world what happened to her. I'm like, well, I kind of didn't expect you to die. Like I was saying a minute ago, the ending is the most fucked up part because you obviously find out it's this website that will basically pay like $100 or something to watch someone's journey and the journey is them being stalked, kidnapped and killed. And it just pans out to this guy watching and then his child comes in the room. Like, what are you doing, Daddy? He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's her. Uh... That's normal. That's a fucking normal setting. Yeah, he's very normal. But, you know, I mean, it's not a new idea. Let's not trick the world into thinking that we haven't seen films before where people are watching someone online. That's that's basically Hostel. the premise of Hostel. Uh, and we get to watch. So we've seen, we have seen it before and we've seen that it is normal people. But it is, you know... I think this is quite effective, and I do like that line. And it is like, you know, we've all been watching something on his phones in the past that we don't want other people to see, and they walk up behind you in that panic of, oh, shit, it, or texting somebody, or doing something where you're like, oh, no, oh, no. It's normally vines for me. <laughs> Just reruns yeah. of vines. <laughs> to sum it up, I think The Den, I think it was ahead of its time in what it was doing, because we're, we're just seeing a resurgence of this, like, webcam internet action. I think it's got really strong performances. The goes quite good. I think it builds up the tension quite well. And as you say, it's, it's got an ending that just makes you go, just like the rest of the film, actually, it makes you go, fucking people are horrible. We're horrible. And we will, we're quite happy to watch people suffer for our entertainment. And that sounds such a fucking hypocritical thing for us to say, doing a horror podcast where we spend our time watching people... 
Not real. But yeah, it, it just reminds you that the world's not a nice place and people out there do will victimise and do things to people that they don't know. And that's the horror of it. And because of that, you should vote for it to show that, you know, I've made a good choice for once. Okay, well, that's our episode this week. So thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it. We will be putting our poll out shortly after you've heard this episode. So please vote for your favourite, whether it's The Den or The Sacrament, Death of a Vlogger or Hell House LLC. Brilliant arguments made for all four, I feel. Mm. So vote for whichever you feel is your favourite. And please do let us know as well in the comments why you picked it. If you want to contact us, you can find us at Spitgraves on both Twitter and Instagram. I spit on your grades on Facebook. You can email us at electricpossums at gmail.com. So please feel free to get hold of us in any of those means. So thank you, Faye. Thank you. Thank you, Mercer. Fuck you. Oh, thank you. Love you. And as always, please rate, review and subscribe. Thank you. Bye.